Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. It's more than just a podcast. It's a source of insights to keep you tapped into all things data-driven so that you can be the most informed technical expert in the virtual room. Listen in weekly to stay educated on the latest trends in backup, recovery, storage, cloud, and security. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and on this episode of Data Protection Gumbo, I have a conversation with David Chapa, Chief Evangelist and Product Strategist. David has over 30 years of industry executive and analyst experience helping organizations with data protection, recovery, and storage, and also how to leverage cloud infrastructure from hybrid to multi-cloud. In this episode, we discuss the technical evangelist role, why we should flip the term backup and recovery to recovery and backup, the reason ransomware is here to stay, and his views on recovery time and recovery point objectives. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, David. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, it is awesome to have you on, and I am looking forward to our conversation here. And why don't you just start off by giving the audience a a little background of yourself, what you're up to these days? Sure. Well, I've I've been in this industry for, for some time. I almost hate to admit it's almost about 30 years or so. And a lot of that time has been focused around data protection, uh, disaster recovery, business continuity, data security, data storage. Uh, and the interesting thing, you know, throughout the progression of my career, um, I've always wanted to move towards where the platforms got to be more and more intelligent. And so you see where data protection is at. You see where storage is at. That's kind of the place where I like to play. And so uh, I've, I've been a chief evangelist for a number of companies um, over the years, and uh, I like to focus on the market and the trends and kind of you know, share my, my opinions of where I believe things are headed. Awesome. And I am going to start off by answering a question, one that I get all the time. What the hell is an evangelist <laughs> <laughs> or a chief evangelist or a technical evangelist? Yeah. So here's a funny story. When I, when I got that title uh, originally, many, many years ago, my first trip was doing a roadshow in London. And uh, I walked into a pub and they introduced me. And one of one of the uh, the customers turned around. And he said, "I was expecting a black cloak and a white collar." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Makes sense. So you know, if you think about you know the word evangelist, you're really you're 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 someone that's spreading the the good word, right? So um, as an evangelist or a technical evangelist, you really are trying to highlight and elevate the the product and solution uh, for the company that, that you're representing. Uh, and that's that's chiefly what those responsibilities entail. Okay, that that was crystal clear and short and sweet. And I like to say, I am preaching the word of backup. <laughs> Amen. You know, all, all of my <laughs> followers come to receive the gospel of data resiliency, and um, I try to do, do that and deliver that into you know multiple formats, whether it's a blog post, a webinar, or what we're doing now. We're podcasting. We're having a conversation over this medium. So I appreciate that that definition. So let, let's talk a little bit about just uh, data resiliency and databases and recovery and storage and some of the things that you've been, you've been working on for quite some time now. 
why don't you maybe kick us off with starting around, I guess, what's in your mind the, the most important thing when, when you're talking about uh, not necessarily backup, but recovery, since it's the, it's the most important aspect, because if you can't recover the data, then you defeat the purpose of backing it up in the first place. So what's, I guess, your overall definition of what a successful recovery means and, and what does that look like for, for you just from your perspective, David? Yeah, that, that's a great question. You know, and that, that question kind of takes me back many, many years. Um, you know, back, back in the day, and I mean back in the day, back in the 90s, when we're talking about backup, we were talking about speeds and feeds. We were talking about backing up to a tape medium. And so how do you keep that tape going so fast? Well, you interleave or you multiplex these multiple data sources to keep that tape spinning because we all knew back then, as soon as it stopped, you'd have that, that shoe shining effect and had to back up, reposition and go again. You lose, you lose time performance. So we always talked about the speed of backup. And it was probably 1996 or 1997, I decided to shift gears and really focus on recovery. And so I gave a presentation at a Storage Decision Show in Chicago, and I entitled it Recovery and Backup. And it was from that point forward that I really started focusing on, on recovery. I was a backup admin, and you know when I was called upon to restore a file or a volume, um, I would do that. I'd, recover that volume, that, uh, that uh, directory or that file. And from a backup admin perspective, my job was done. Well, fast forward to today. Um, IT doesn't have the staff that it once had, right? We don't have these multiple positions. We have a consolidated effort. And I'm, I'm not trying to you know, talk down to IT, but we've gone from specialist to generalist. IT today has to know so much more than IT of 25, 30 years ago, where we had the, the specialists. And so when they're called upon to do a recovery, it's not a file directory and volume. It is all the way up to the application, the database, is everything running. So what defines recovery today is end user accessibility and end users being able to do their jobs. And that's, that's really how I define recovery today. I love that end user accessibility and their ability to to do their jobs. I, I think that's very well said. And when you think about recovery, and you are a a long time backup and recovery guy, uh, such as myself, I used to be a backup admin and also a consultant, traveling around installing and configuring backup systems. And you come across the RPO and RTO. I mean, those are some some really old terms, and they're still used today. Uh, recovery time objective, recovery point objective, and sometimes there there's confusion around which is which and what does it mean, and you know how do you plan for you know RTO versus RPO, and does is cost involved, things of that nature. Have you seen those? those acronyms and those terms still utilized today? And if so, do you have a new spin on, on RTO and RPO? Yeah, I, I still see them used quite a bit. And I, I pushed back for a number of years on RPO, RTO, because what I was trying to get people to really focus on 
was, was not the technology buzzwords of RPO, RTO, but really helping customers themselves and you know the, the manufacturers I was working with focus more on what the business outcome the customer is looking for. And so from that, you're going to find out what your tolerance level is. Let's be, let's be frank. RPO and RTO is about your tolerance of loss. <laughs> yeah, um, right. So how much data can you tolerate to lose is the RPO. And then how long can you tolerate being down uh, is your RTO. And while those sound very negative to talk about in that way, um, it's the reality of life. Now, the spin that I have put on it, again, going back many, many years ago, uh, when I started really writing a lot about disaster recovery and then helping customers implement uh, disaster recovery plans, you know, back then we would write these really in-depth business impact analyses. And they're still being done today, and they're still very valuable. But one of the things that I defined differently than most people at that time was a thing called a business interruption. Now, for me, a business interruption is defined as an event that occurs that causes an inability for your customers or your end users to access the applications, data, systems, platform that you are supporting. Now, if you look at a disaster recovery plan, um, you can have several business interruptions that happen throughout the day. What turns that into a disaster or a declaration of disaster is when your business interruption exceeds the predetermined amount of time that you have allocated for that event before you have to declare a disaster. In other words, I might have a file deletion. I call up IT and say, you know what? I accidentally deleted this file. It's critical. I need it back. Well, based on the disaster recovery plan, if they can get that, that file back uh, within an hour or two hours or whatever that predetermined time is, then they have, they've overcome the, the business interruption and I'm you know, back to working again. When you go beyond that, that's when the RPO, RTO, the DR plan kicks in and the business interruption becomes a disaster declaration. So that's the kind of the different spin that I've, I've taken on that uh, is really looking at that event. What is that event called, and how can you how can you mitigate that? I, I like to look at you know uh, x number of days without an accident. You look at some of the manufacturing uh, customers out there. That's the way I look at you know disaster recovery. Is you know hey we've had x amount of days without a DR declaration. Yeah, and I remember when disaster recovery was an actual event that you had to travel to. That's right. So I would get on a plane, <laughs> go to New Jersey. One of the Hawkins, as I call it, whether it's Wee Hawkins, Sea Hawkins, whatever the, the those cities are, like the names are really hilarious to me. Go there, and then we would pre-plan all of the systems, the database systems, the applications, and all of, all of the different systems by priority, which ones we're going to bring up. Install physical CDs into the servers and install the software from scratch. And I mean, it was a whole weekend. I think it was two, three, four days worth of and you ship in all the tapes and you have to bring the tape library up and set the IP addresses and the subnet mask and I mean it was it was a, a very very long and tiring event and we had shifts like where we would work 12 hour shifts and I mean it was a lot like what's the difference nowadays with 
disaster recovery planning and business continuity and resiliency because we're in the cloud now and we have SaaS and PaaS and IaaS, you know, all these different things. What What's the one thing that stands out to you around the old days and the new days when it comes to resiliency? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think uh, for, for me, it's the time uh, to recovery, right? So um, to your point, I'm from Chicago and Comdisco was the big player in, in Chicago. And several of the clients that I worked for we would go and you know basically take our sack lunches and we'd go off to Comdisco for a day or two or three while we test the DR plan. Fast forward, you know, today you have you have solutions out there that have you know these these sandbox opportunities where you can actually create a fenced off area, test your recovery strategy, test your plan, and know that it's going to work when you have to uh, execute that that plan and strategy. So the difference today is really. Uh, is really speed and performance in executing those those recovery strategies. I think the other thing that's different today, I mentioned the business impact analyses. I think for me anyway, when I've been consulting with with customers, I really focus on the mission. What's the mission of your organization? Because if we can focus on the mission of your organization, then we can identify all the critical components, the servers, the platforms, the applications, the data, et cetera. And then from there, build a plan, opposed to going to every single business unit manager and understanding what the cost of loss is by not having access to the data. So uh, you know, for customers to shift their focus and say, okay, my mission is, is making um, little plastic widgets that go on the back of, of cell phones. And so if my, if my little widget making plant goes down, that's the mission of my organization. I've got to make sure that we can bring that up. So what systems support that widget operation? And, and that's where you, that's where you go. And I think that's how people are getting to a, a more swiftly designed disaster recovery business continuity plan. I also remember that, you know, as a backup administrator, security wasn't really a, a concept and a thing that you thought about often. I mean, backup was just backup, right? You just wanted to make sure that you had a successful backup that night. You didn't see any red, right? You saw all green on, the, on that report that you had to read when you came in the next day before you got your coffee or whatever. And as you're drinking your coffee, you're looking at the bis missed and failed backup report. Now, security is so key to every aspect of data protection that you cannot go about not talking about some type of form of securing that data. The question is, though, things like ransomware, do you think that it's going to get worse or it's going to get better or the technology that is, you know, put out will maybe send ransomware on its way. You know, how, how are you viewing ransom, things like ransomware and security in today's world? Right, that's, that's a great question. So is ransomware going away? No, I, is it gonna get worse? I think we've seen it get worse. The, the first virus that, that, that hit was, you know, probably by today's standards, not that debilitating, but 
that never went away. And it continued to grow and grow and grow. And you get these worms and you get, you get all these different instantiations of malware. And, uh, you know, I look at years ago, I did, I did a study on uh, the, the market and looked at ransomware, looked at security, really tried to understand what was, what was the impact to the organizations when they were hit by a cybersecurity uh, uh, infiltration. And many times it, it took companies, you know, back then up to 200 days before they even realized they had been targeted. And remediation then had to take place. And now it's gotten better. I think we're somewhere in the, I think the last thing I saw was somewhere around 75 days, irrespective of the number of days. Uh, if it's more than, if it's more than a day, <laughs> uh, it's, it's really, that's going to, potentially going to be horrible and disastrous. Uh, so, but the thing that was different for us back then in, you know, when I started my career is everything went to tape. And so tape was a, a cold um, offline medium that wasn't uh, accessible to the predators of today. And uh, if you look at, I'll, I'll call them out because they actually published this on LinkedIn, but a company out of, you know, Colorado, where I live, Spectrologic, they were hit by ransomware. And the IT team started to notice anomalies, and they quickly got into action. One of the things that saved them was they had backed up to tape. And so they had tape that was uh, offline that they could recover from. The other thing that helped them was they had some snapshots that were immutable. And so I think, you know, the, the ransomware threat is, is serious. It's real. You know, five, seven, ten years ago, I think everyone probably thought it was, it was an SMB problem. But I think the reality was that the larger organizations had enough communication PR power to control it. So we never really heard about it. And today it's so pervasive that we're starting to see it pop up more and more and more. So it's not going away, but we've got to be smarter and, um, and more diligent about how we protect those backups and those assets, because that's really, truly what it is. It's, it's the asset for the organization, you know, second, second or third, you know, to the people. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you said that was Spectralogic. I thought they were a tape company, right? Yeah. That, so Spectralogic is a tape company, but they also have you know, some disc-based uh, technology as well. Okay. Yeah. But they they were hit. And, um, you know, they they responded. And I was really thankful that they were open enough about what happened, what they did, how they remediated, um, and, and the challenges. Because it's, it's a serious topic. You'll see on my LinkedIn, if you all follow me, uh, I post a lot about ransomware because I'm trying to raise the awareness that, this is a serious and a real problem that's not going away anytime soon. Yeah, I used to see where maybe a few years ago they would recommend to pay the ransom. <laughs> I can't remember. I think it was some someone in the FBI or, or or someone who was running that division, and I think they they did a three sixty and said, "Well, maybe you should, or maybe you shouldn't. It depends on if you have a way to recover that data quickly." to to not pay the ransom on that but if you if you can recover that data then absolutely not so i know things like 
Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies have made it that much easier for, you know, nefarious actors to, you know, really get access to funds and, you know, to encrypt your data, et cetera, because it's the day and times that we live in right now, even though Bitcoin and cryptocurrency right now is in the tanks, it's in the dumps, along with the rest of the economy. So everyone's waiting on that turnaround to happen. Well, if you look at, um, and I'll, I'll mention them too because this was public, this was in the headlines, and the CEO actually came out sometime after this, but Tyler Technologies down in, in Texas, uh, they, they were hit too, and they ended up paying the, the ransomware. But what we don't, I maybe conceptualize, is it's not like your data is locked up in a little box, and then you pay the ransom, and you're given this key unlock, and there's all your data. You've got to go through and process all the data to decrypt it. And that in itself takes a long time. The CEO of Tyler Technologies, I believe, came out and said somewhere around the remediation cost was somewhere around $80 million. So far, far exceeding the cost of the ransom itself. Yeah. It's a long list of, of companies that were hit. City of Atlanta. I mean, if, if you have systems that haven't been patched in a while and you're not up to date on your remediation effort from from a patching perspective and your CIS, you know, different systems that need to be patched and everyone's not educated. Someone clicks on a link, on the wrong link, and hey, you you may have just introduced the next ransomware into your environment and it may not show up for 90 days, 100 days. I mean, it's a while. It takes a while. They They'll sit and wait. They play the long game. They're patient. They want to scan and see where all the all the crown jewels are, where the goodies are. And sometimes they even target backup systems, right? There has been cases where backups have been wiped out as well, and that alleviated the opportunity to recover from something like ransomware. But yeah, it's, it's, still, a, it's still a huge topic today. Where, where do you see artificial intelligence being used today, uh, especially around data protection? And do, do you have any... Any like future insights into where you think AI and, and ML should play? Boy, I've got uh, this could be a whole other podcast on on my on my supposition for around AI ML, but, but I'll I'll try and keep it really succinct. Look, I think there's a lot of power in in a, uh, AI ML, especially from a data protection perspective, and I'm not just talking about backup. But I'm talking about the, the active primary disk systems that are in play. When you have an, uh, an AI, let's just call it artificial intelligence uh, system that is tracking everything, everyone's movement, you start learning, right? Just like, you know, Amazon Alexa starts learning your voice. It starts learning the activity, the amount of data you're creating, the amount of data you're moving, the amount of data you're deleting. Then when you start creating a baseline from there, you start looking at anomalies. That's where your, your security team comes into play because they're all about anomalies. You know, if there's something that's happening, for example, uh, David Chapa uh, usually creates about, you know, three to five, you know, gig a week, let's say. And he's deleting a few terabytes, uh, a, a few uh, gigabytes here and there. Well, all of a sudden, they see David Chapa has moved 200 terabytes of data from one place to another place. The first place, he shouldn't have access to. Somehow he got access. But that data has been moved. That's a red flag. 
that is something that should be caught by uh, an AI model or training model that is looking at these anomalies. And then when the security team sees that, they can then go and talk with you know management, HR. HR comes back and says, hey, uh, David Chapa has been on vacation for a week. Mm, There's right. no way he's, he's that. Mm. All of a sudden you see his anomalies. This actually happened to me when I worked for an advertising agency in Chicago. I was in New York and uh, at our office in New York City and was working on a number of uh, projects on the IT side. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's another person at the company in Chicago whose name was C-H-A-V-A, -A, Chava. Not Chava, Chava. And there was some theft that happened during the weekend. And they said, you know, David Chapa was in here on the weekend. And management said, there's no way because Chapa is in, is in Hawaii. New York, <laughs> right? In Hawaii, wherever. <laughs> and, and so it ended up, they, they did find out what happened. But it's those kind of things, right, that you can catch those very, very quickly with an AI training model. Yeah, it's um, it, it's something that's fascinating, and I remember listening to a podcast a while ago, and it was this this AI ML scientist, and I mean, he was painting a very doom and gloom picture, almost like what Elon Musk was doing around, oh, they're going to take over the world, they're going to do this and that, but they're 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 just clearly stating the intelligence that that these AI these models and these systems are learning, and I think I read something about sentience. You know, almost being here with these these other robots. Uh, I forgot the name of that one robot, Lucy or something. Yes. I don't know. You know which one I'm talking about, but I, I do. Yes. It's it's getting more and more sophisticated nowadays. And one thing that I I believe that one day data will be self aware that somebody's going to write a file system or some form of data that a zero and one will know. Okay, I am data. And I need to protect myself. So I will make a copy of all of my application files, all the important files to somewhere else. And that's going to be automatic. And maybe we're 100 years away from that and I won't be around. But I can, I can definitely sense that something like that will, will happen because technology is advancing so fast now. Not, not to take us off the rails, but to take us off the rails a little bit, it's already here. It's called mm -hmm. DNA. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and CRISPR, you heard of that one? Um, C R I S P R. No. I just read a couple of days ago that they were testing on animals. Now they're going to do their first test on humans, where for cholesterol. So if you have high cholesterol, they're going to be able to take CRISPR and maybe inject you with it and it's going to change one of the the um letters of your dna so you no longer have high blood pressure or high cholesterol interesting yeah it's it's really interesting stuff but i, I know we're digressing here but this is all techy <laughs> nerdy type of stuff and uh, may, maybe we'll 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 wrap up with with one final question here so w what are you reading these days, I, I know you are a, a musician, and there's tons of uh, amazing uh, instruments. I see guitars and and synthesizers and all types of uh, things in the background here. But what what are you reading nowadays that may be beneficial to the the gumbo listeners? Boy, um, 
what I'm reading, well, I don't know if this would be beneficial, but my, my nephew is a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. And uh, he just, his book just came out, but he was a, a, a drone pilot. That's when he, you know, first got his pilot slot. He was flying the drones uh, in theater across the pond from St. Louis or from Las Vegas. Well, he's also a philosophy uh, major and just got his PhD from Oxford. He wrote a book called um, Is Remote Warfare Moral? And his role, this, this ties into what we're talking about, his role inside the DOD is about the ethics around AI. And so uh, this book, um, the, uh, the, the context of the book is all about you know, the, the, his philosophy and, and what he's been learning. So that's what I'm reading right now. That's one book. Another book that I've, that I've read and I'm rereading again uh, is called Extreme Ownership. Um, and I'm not sure if uh, it's it Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, that, that book is a great book. Um, you know, there's so many great things to learn from it. Uh, I would say uh, it's almost like a workout. You know, you, you've, you've got to go through it. It's going to take a little time. Uh, rinse and repeat to kind of get some of the principles and habits. Yeah, along that same lines, you ever heard of a guy named David Goggins? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, when I found out about that guy, I was just fascinated by his story and how he tried out to be a Navy SEAL, uh, maybe not twice, three times, shin splints and running miles. And I mean, all these things he did to push the boundaries. I think he still lives like that today. Uh, but just talk about mind over matter and extreme discipline. I mean, that's the same concept that that um, Jocko also speaks as well, since he was like this huge military um, uh, veteran or whatever. And, you know, just extreme ownership and things like that is um, super, super duper things to weave into the way and in, in the philosophy of how you think because some of the younger folks nowadays it's it's kind of we're kind of losing our edge on being tough and resiliency because we're talking data but we're talking mental health i mean like being able to mentally receive what someone is saying and process that and not let that kind of take you outside of who you are and make you depressed or anything like that. But yeah, take it and turn it into being a better version of yourself. That is correct. And maybe I'm going to edit that part out because I don't want to get some hate mail. Well, what do you know about, <laughs> what do you know about mental health? And well, if you want hate mail, let me say this. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh man. But David, I, I had a, a, a fantastic time having a conversation with you about, you know, data protection, backup, recovery, kind of where we're headed, you know, in the future with protecting data, et cetera. So how would you like Gumbo listeners to contact you? Are you open to being reached out to on LinkedIn, Twitter? Yeah. So I'm, I'm on Twitter. So um, at David Chapa. C-H-A-P-A. And then on LinkedIn, LinkedIn is probably the best and uh, and fastest way to reach me. And my LinkedIn profile there is David A. Chapa. It's like my name is showing up here. Yeah. It's just a branding thing. I okay. decided to do that about 35 years ago. So. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on Data Protection Gumbo, David. And we will chat with you next time. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, 
Have a fantastic week.